0: Welcome to Say That a Podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA.
1: Technology is not my friend. We're having FaceTime
0: issues. Also joining us via said FaceTime is Jed Brewer, the director
2: of Mission USA Productions. Technology says it's my friend, but then when I invite it to a party, it never actually comes. And I know it says it's busy with work, but it's like, you're not too busy for everything else, jerk.
0: You know, in some ways, that was a very taut screenplay about our modern relationship with technology. Thank you. We wanted it to come through for us, but it's often busy with other things. Like updating pages. No, <laughs> Mac, I don't need that. I need you to run the program. I want you to run. Joining <laughs> us all the way from Rochester, Tennessee, and one of the pastor of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger.
3: And then I look around at other ministries, and they're using that technology. And I'm thinking, how do they get it to work? Right. Yeah.
0: That's right. I want to meet the church that is not doing. They're not doing Zoom. They're not trying to FaceTime, but they're still on Google Hangout. <laughs> they're trying to make the little circles work.
1: Listen, I listened to that uh, uh, Conor O'Brien podcast. I understand it's pretty popular. And uh, today they were doing the same thing we're doing of, you know, everyone recording remotely and stitching it together. And uh, they let off today's or, or this latest episode by describing the roughly 40-minute time frame it took to walk conan through the process of recording himself using the technology in his home and when a broadcast professional who is probably of a similar age to myself struggles that mightily it really makes me feel good about what i'm going through right now
0: a broadcast professional who went to harvard no less that's true indeed it is well i think the world overall is adjusting you know some of us on the show are baseball fans, and that's that's obviously, they've had to suspend play. Um, I am a professional wrestling fan. We record this a week from the time you're hearing it on night two of WrestleMania. And gentlemen, that brings me to an opportunity emergency. What? Wow! As you see, they can't have, are uh, all these things now, be it church, be it a wrestling show, be it music, where you can't have the live audience there so in some ways that's led to a stripping down you know a lot of uh, musicians are doing like a a you know kind of just a one shoot into their phone and play a song uh you know there's a chris thiele from nickel creek uh had a radio show called live from here they're now doing live from home uh which is also very worth checking out on youtube um but then there's our friends in the professional wrestling industry who um it's not a subtle art form. Let me put it <laughs> that way. No. <laughs> so they decided we can just do some matches in front of nobody. And that's, that's something, but we can also have a 55 year old biker zombie fight a guy from Georgia in a graveyard that happened last night. Whoa.
1: So okay. that's
0: a little more, that's a little extra, a little lanyop for our <laughs> friends from the, from the Gulf coast there. And our friends in the church community have up to now, as we've seen, been being pretty austere About the whole thing you know maybe it's Just the pastor at his house Maybe we're, we're shooting it at the church But it's you know just very stripped down worship team And I think these people Are ready to go a little church Mania if you will oh, well, oh, yeah. I think Much to Lee's point about the technology We go into these places and say You know the guy across the Street's really up in the production value
1: <laughs> Yeah are
0: You ready to kick it up and what I need from you, gentlemen, is some insane ideas to pitch these people.
1: You're talking about Baptist versus the Lutherans, no holds barred, wow. cage match, a doctrinal smackdown. Yeah,
0: absolutely right. The Lutherans are going to try to nail something to a door. They always do.
1: There it is.
0: But they're allowed to. But just, you know, you got that pastor who thinks, as the, as many of them do, okay, I talked and, like, encouraged people but that's not really anything. How can I get fire involved?
3: What, what is, what does trash talk sound like when you're speaking in tongues, Matt? (laughs) Uh,
0: You know, I can't think of an answer. that's not offensive to somebody. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take a punt on that. Well, I think if you want to bring it in the, in the, your own professional wrestling, you could do a Hulk Hogan style where you just speak in tongues normally, but punctuate every sentence with brother. (laughs)
1: <laughs> right, good. right, good. yeah. Just
0: got a string of unknown syllables, and then, let me tell you something, Mean Gene, That this kind of thing. Yeah. But so well, we you, go... You, go ahead. You
1: need one of those uh, wrestling commentators that, you know, that knows how all the moves... So he you know, because that's that's where it really comes alive, you know, where he's yelling, Yeah, it's a it's it's a Presbyterian tulip off the turnbuckle, that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, that's, well, that's good. right. We
0: need we need church gorilla monsoon. That's what we need. Yeah. I've been saying that for years, really. Um but also now we need the we need the thing to go in and say, you know, Pastor, I see you're just talking into the camera. The Baptists they got the live nativity scene going. I know it's not even close to Christmas, but they fired it up anyway. <laughs> we got to pitch this guy something to go
1: big. Interesting. Well, yeah, I. You know, when you were you were talking about that, though, you know, the direction my brain went in, you know, is first of all cosplay. <laughs> uh, sure. So dress up as your favorite biblical character and/or theologian, perhaps and okay. then you That's then something. you go toe to toe you know in other words it's like a mortal combat only it's you know like Moses versus Elijah dude yes oh yeah
0: oh now we're talking
1: see what i'm saying that would be you know that would be pretty pretty epic right there our
0: struggle is not against flesh and blood but what if it was <laughs> <laughs> That's right Well, now we, we have a corollary of something we've already pitched to great success Which is the Easter slash Christmas pageant Where it's a cage fight, but we don't tell the guy who's playing the bad part that it's a cage fight Right I believe we pitched this with Glenn having the idea of Santa wrestling the concept of gluttony Yeah and just kind of ground and pounding him. So yeah,
1: you, you you hire an improv actor that did not know what this is, <laughs> and you're just you're chasing him around the sanctuary now with a with the folding chair that you're trying to hit him with. You know,
0: why does that guy have a gladius? Well, we're talking about Ephesians six, and it's going to get specific. <laughs> I think this is good. I think we we could involve lions. The tigers are very hot right oh, now, yeah, thanks to yeah. our friends at Netflix. You know. Sure, yeah. Oh, well, what does the part of Daniel involve? You'll find out.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think this is going to up your play count considerably.
2: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, and and King, you started us off, off at the front, you know, mentioning pyrotechnics. I think if you're doing a series on Elijah, there's a lot of opportunities to bring out those pyrotechnics,
3: yeah. man. Oh, oh yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, that that's that's like a ready-made name for a wrestling move—the Hand of God. There it is. There it is. <laughs> you know, just just something comes. You, you jump on him off of something high, and you land on him.
3: Mount Carmel with, with a hand. That's, a, that's yeah. a, that, oh, that's the, very nice. The move is the is the uh, the 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 fire descending from Mount Carmel.
1: Yeah.
2: Plus, in in that particular story, you've got the trash talk already built into the text, right? Yeah. So with of talking smack to the prophets of Baal. So I that's think we it. can just, you know, play that up, man. That's, that's ready for WrestleMania.
1: Well, and I think in terms of all these things, if you, if you sort of, you know, cause you have like your undercard and I, I this is my understanding, you know, it kind of builds to like the main event. Absolutely. In the main event, you bring out, uh, uh, Noah. And he just unleashes a bunch of wild animals into the area. Yes. And they just start tearing up everything. Yes. There it is. You know, I parked the Ark out front and just, you know, and it's just, you know, rabid dogs and, and badgers and stuff.
3: Well, you also have, I mean, for for guys like Matt who are really into the wrestling, you know, that one of the most classic events in the history of wrestling was the... The, the heel turn of of Hulk Hogan, right? And, this is true. So, uh, you know, just an unexpected heel turn where
0: sure, Bash of the Beach, nineteen ninety six. No one's keeping track. It doesn't matter. Go ahead.
3: <laughs> but you have some kind of unexpected heel turn where you know, like, uh, where where Solomon, uh, you know, the the son of King David. Decide, you know, or Absalom, the son of King David, decides to take over the whole kingdom or something like that. You just play all of this up, all of this drama and cosplay and the whole thing. Or you could even have uh, denominations banding together and forming alliances against other denominations.
2: Ooh. Oh, we got a full Game of Thrones thing going here.
0: That's yeah, nice. You,
1: you got your Armenians, you got your Calvinists, it's you know, a <laughs> whole thing, man. They're just, you know, I'll I'll make you eternally secure about the thing, you know. You 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 know, you finish it off at
3: home. He's only a yeah. four point Calvinist. There it that's is. Right. There it is. Yeah. The well, fifth think... point is pain.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's in in a statement that's in a statement yeah. that's certainly blasphemy, in many ways, Judas was the original heel turn. What? And okay. I think you could do a whole multi-day Holy Week program. You know, this is our yep. first show coming up after Easter. Yeah. And what the was Last the resurrection, Supper. if not the ultimate hulking up? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Jesus, you know, you have the guys playing Jesus come out of the tomb. Hulk Hogan's real American starts playing. Yep. He drops the big leg on Satan. <laughs> I think the people would enjoy this. I know I would, gentlemen.
2: I, I'm I'm sorry to have to do this, but I am a preacher's kid, and it's it is what it is. You may be saddened to know that noted Christian musician Carmen has already done exactly what we are all describing wow. here.
0: No, <laughs> I'm going to need real? you to break down every part of this for me, Jed.
2: Okay, so there was a guy. I believe he's still with us, but he was a big star in the '80s and early '90s. A Christian musician named Carmen. And it's oh, we're familiar. it's difficult to describe Carmen's music because there wasn't really a style to it. It was just Carmen is amazing was really that's the key thing
1: um and uh, Carmen it was pr- like Billy Joel if he had a cousin that wasn't able to play piano, yes, that's
2: exactly what it is that's, that's <laughs> oh, perfect. that's rough, yeah. So, Carmen, I believe, and it was broadly considered his magnum opus, uh, was called The Champion, I think. Um, but it basically portrayed, if I recall correctly, kind of the Holy Week and the Resurrection as a wrestling match between Jesus and
1: Satan. Wow. Oh, oh no. Oh, oh, yeah. And like deadly serious. So so once again, we are not able to be silly and mocking enough to go past what is real.
2: I'm saying this already happened in Christian culture literally 30 years ago.
3: <laughs> wow. wow. And, and Glenn was pretty close. I just looked it up. He is from New Jersey. So the whole Billy yeah. Joel thing, I mean, I guess that was, yeah, this is pretty amazing. Oh, oh yes. that
0: hurts my soul on so many levels.
3: The final P is for pain. I d- <laughs> Jed, I do remember there being kind of a rap song where Jesus dunks on Satan.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. You no. Remember that one? Yeah, he has the yeah. shoes
3: and everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was Christian WrestleMania meets Lame Hamilton. Yeah, it was It was oh, bad, dude. Time. Oh, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. <laughs>
1: Well, I I think, fellas, we got to get back to our core idea, which is the pastor of your church, whatever your church is, in a speedo, oiled up. (laughs) Or a singlet. (laughs) Or a singlet. Yeah, sort of a, you could do like with the one arm, uh, the one shoulder of the singlet. Oh, sure, the under the
0: giant singlet.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you you got sort of sort of uh, it looks like a you know, David and Goliath kind of scenario happening, you know, sort of those you know, the sword and sandal biblical epics from like the 50s and stuff. Uh but you you oil up your pasture and you send him into the octagon. That's just a winner of an idea. I
0: I'm just overwhelmed by a the great ideas we've had. B, as Glenn points out, our inability to come up with something too dumb for Christian culture. (laughs) Because our starting point, again, was undead zombie biker buries man in wrestling match in a graveyard. And then we made that sillier, and we still didn't catch up to Christian culture circa 1990. (laughs) So there's that. And given all that, I think we can safely declare emergency (laughs) off.
3: That was 14 minutes of nonsense right there.
0: (laughs) That was a real journey, folks. Um, So there's really no healthy way to get from there to Bridgebox. Um, The things that stop me from doing things like, uh, you know, concept albums about Jesus uh, wrestling the devil in the Omni, I assume, because that's where all great such things take place, is that I have to functionally uh, be ready for bridge box. We have to put that out every month. So that's 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 sermons, that's Bible studies, that's songs, that's things that are a little more uh gathered, a little more focused in a theme, encouraging you. That comes in your inbox every month if you sign up at missionusa.com slash bridgebox. We are also on a weekly basis putting out our live bridge cast. We hope Ooh. you can join us every Tuesday at 7.30 Chicago time. Or, to put it in fancy, GMT-5. Whoa. Not to be confused with GMT-5, which is also very British, but an entirely different thing. Um, so we hope you join us. We will have sermons. We have some worship. We have some messages from some amazing friends around the city and around the world. We're having fun in the chat, interacting with people. So come join us every Tuesday at 7.30. Even if you can't, those videos are all archived over at Facebook.com/slash. The Bridge, Chicago. All right, we're going to go on to our first question here. If you can hang on this all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways to get to touch this, or you can scroll down into your episode description. Find your links there. First question comes in anonymously, and it says, A lot of people are using their quarantine to exercise more and do video calls with people and read the books they plan to. I kind of just want to do less than I had to do when I had to go to the office every day. Is it wrong to see this as an opportunity to just slow down? And I think a very good question and yeah, definitely a different vibe than what you may be reading in motivational posts all across your social media. So, Glenn, where do we kick off with this idea?
1: Well, first of all, I actually had the exact same thought. And so I can totally relate to this. You know, you think, oh, you know, we got all sorts of extra time here. It's going to be great to catch up on some things. And, you know, around here, there's always stuff to catch up on. Uh, and then the next week was a solid seven days of working around the clock. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the idea that I was going to have all kinds of extra time really did not pan out. Uh, so that's part of it is is not realizing that, you know, you might be have less to do over here, but you end up uh, other things kind of... Expand to fill the space. At least that's how it works in my life. Uh, the second thing there is to remember that grief is extremely exhausting, and in a sense, we 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 are going through a grieving process of not being able to do all the stuff that we want to do. We have a lot of tension, whatever, and that that sadness and 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 worry and all those different things. We can sort of fight those things down to where they're not really controlling us, but it adds up to a very low-level grief that kind of flies under the radar and that we just get tired from that. We get exhausted from that. And I think we have to acknowledge that. I think we have to give ourselves permission to feel our feelings on that and say, okay, I'm tired. Um, I'm carrying as little stress as I can, but it's still enough to— kind of whittle me down quite a little bit. So we had to uh, recognize that we had to give ourselves that permission to uh, take it a little slower. I think this is a great time to explore the idea of going a little slower, not having as full a schedule, not overbooking ourselves. I think most of the people listening to this podcast, if you looked at your schedule, there's too much in it, and that would include stuff that God does not want in it. Yeah so if if we're re examining those things it's a great time to examine that so we're looking for a balance we're looking for uh yes have that rest time of course we we don't want to take it to the opposite extreme where we're not doing anything and then we're real that's when you really crash when you you're going to get bored a lot faster you're going to end up kind of just uh, you know getting cabin fever and all those kind of things but I think the the point I want to land on is this: that making the most of this time will mean different things to different people. Yes, dude. Uh, for some people, I you know I look. I don't need to catch up on my reading. I do I do a good amount of reading. That's not. It would be weird for me to think this is a perfect time for that. Uh, I actually started exercising just before this hit. I, I so I'm ex. I happen to be exercising, but. You know, if you're sort of exhausted and worn out and exercise is going to take you in the wrong direction, then that's not the thing for you. For somebody else, um, just kind of having that exercise and cleansing the mind and getting the juices flowing in the right direction and not being sedentary is exactly what they need. I think you need to give yourself permission to say, what is it that I need to really feed myself, to power myself, to keep yeah. myself going and make those moves?
0: That's a really, really good place to start that off. And Jed, I'd love for you to pick up and continue exploring this idea of grief, because I really like uh, Glenn broaching that subject. It may not be the word a lot of us have thought about, but I think it really does apply, right?
2: I think it does, man. I I think Glenn is right that that we are grieving not being able to live the way that we want to live. Sometimes that's in big ways. Sometimes that's in small ways. I think plenty of us are are grieving the loss of of people near to us um or the 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 sickness of people near to us and I think for a lot of people too there's a sense of I thought the world was a certain way and this time is letting me know that it's not and so there is grieving the way I thought the world was that, that's a big thing for what it's worth that's that's a heck of a thing to to need to grieve and the thing about grief is everybody grieves differently. Um, and as as long as you're not for years and years and years just ignoring your grief, there's not exactly wrong ways to grieve. It just doesn't quite work that way. So um, I think being kind to yourself is really, really important in this season. And just like Glenn is saying, doing the things that work for you, whether they work for other people or not, is is really key and really important. But while we're on the subject, let's talk about those other people, because there's a few things we may want to note. The first is people lie online. They go That's on Facebook, not? they go on Instagram and they lie. This has actually been studied. And what, what's been shown is that a significant majority of people will exaggerate online to the point where truth has been left behind. But that a shockingly high number of people will out of whole cloth just fabricate things that are not true in any way shape or form they will just make stuff up
4: wow
0: are you saying that post glenn put up about him being named duke of burgundy may have been <laughs> a half truth i'm i'm suggesting it was at least in part a flight of fancy
2: well he's still in a sash
1: i was wearing burgundy that's close enough
3: <laughs> oh so,
2: So here's the thing. One of the things that we want to believe about our lives and the world is that tragic times bring out the best in people. And sometimes that's true. But it's not always true. People don't stop lying online because there's a plague on. People keep doing the uncool stuff that they're into, unfortunately. So it's worth noting that there's, there's a huge difference between what people claim they are doing, what they present that they are doing, and what they are actually doing. Uh, these, these are not in any way the same thing, and, and we need to bear that in mind. The second thing uh, that's, that's important to note is you've, you've probably heard the phrase, uh, slow and steady wins the race. Mm. And what I can tell you is that, at least in my experience, is literally true. Um, just as a hobby, I, I, I've done a little bit of athletics, and I can't tell you the number of races where other people start out faster than me. They're just blazing down the road, and five minutes later, I'm passing them. It's not because I'm particularly fast. I promise you I'm not. It's because if you burn yourself out in a very impressive but short-lived blaze of glory, then you have nothing left to do. So... um you're you're comparing yourself to others. I think a lot of those people are making it up. Some people may be telling the truth, but for how long, right? So just yesterday, I got my MBA from an online college and I planted my garden and I dewormed the dog all oh, in a day's work. Okay, but what are you doing tomorrow? Because we're all still going to be in quarantine tomorrow. Yeah, and dude. recognizing that it's this is a marathon, not a sprint, that slow and steady wins the race. And that you need to do what works for you, whether it works for other people. I think is how we're going to wind up staying in a good place mentally and emotionally.
0: I think it's a really, really good point. I will, I will tack onto that. Um, it's easy to hear someone talking about all they want to do, and maybe even all the things they feel bad about them not doing, as them doing something, and that's just kind of something to be on the lookout. For as well when we're doing that comparison piece, on top of as Jed Ratley points out, all the lying. Um, so uh, <laughs> Lee, where would you <laughs> close us out on this?
3: Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna come in right on the tails of that same place with the uh, with the comparison. There is, it's a, it's a really easy to trap to fall into when people are talking about what they're doing online, um, because and and for one thing when people post the you know the masks that they're sewing or the cookies that they're baking or the the food that they're passing out at elementary schools we can all stand back and say those are positive things those are really really good things the problem with a lot of that stuff is and and by the way they're proud of the fact that they're a part of the 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 overall effort and and we can understand that as well the problem is that we have a tendency to think Everybody should be doing the same things. Okay. Or everybody gets peace from being exactly the same way. Now, the, <laughs> the problem with that is, is that the Lord has made every single person with a different personality, with different gifts, with different all kinds of everything inside you, uh, different motivations, different, different powers, different everything. So here's, here's a really trippy thing to understand, but it's absolutely true that there if you're a person who like you're looking at this time and you're like you know what I want to find some peace I want to find some connection with the Lord I want to slow down my pace the thing that I could tell you is the Lord is 100% behind that idea if that's the way that he built you and he's calling you to that that's a fantastic thing here's the really trippy thing that's weird is that he may be calling someone else to peace In a lot of activity, in a flurry of getting things done. There are some people who their personality thrives by routine, schedule, list making, and then crossing things off those lists. We probably all have those people. Maybe you're married to somebody like that. Maybe you have a sibling who's somebody like that. Maybe you have a parent who's somebody like that. And and when they make that list and they cross things off those off that list, that actually gives them a measure of peace. Now, for somebody like me, that doesn't make any sense at all. When it's my day off, I want to do as little as possible. Hear me, as little as possible. That's what equals peace for me. But for some people, making a list and then crossing things off that list, that actually equals peace for them. So part of this is understanding that everybody's made in a different way and that you don't have to be exactly like somebody else. That Jesus may be calling one person A into peace by giving them a lot of things to do, a big routine, and then them crossing that off. And he may be calling you into peace by just slowing you down and and you spending some time reading or spending some time just kind of getting, getting some things organized around the house or whatever it is. Whatever it is, that comparison piece is the piece that's going to take you out of your square and make this a very difficult thing to understand. What we need to be able to do is to accept who I am. I need to be able to accept who I am, be kind to myself, accept who you are, be kind to yourself, and follow what's bringing me peace and joy. Follow the voice of the Lord, that still, small voice, that gentle whisper and then let you follow that same voice and not compare or make a back. checklist where I'm like, yeah, I've I think that's all really fantastic have. stuff. Because I would add to that there's, there's a weird a kind of survivor's peace. guilt kind of thing good. that can happen that's when to celebrate.
0: people are being inconvenienced by something that you don't find that inconvenient. So, you know, as we're talking about here, you know, people have a hard time sitting still and they want to be out and be active and be seeing people and be in their routine and all that that's perfectly fine. And it's gonna you be to keep going to be a real hardship for them. It doesn't make you a deficient person that you like. You like working from home and you're not that bothered about not being able to go to, you know, the exercise class or whatever it is. Um, it's, it's a weird thing. I think we all have in our brain to think, shouldn't I be a person who is yeah put out more by this? Isn't that, you know what I should be doing? But that's really not gonna get you any closer to where you're going as you guys these guys have all mentioned, okay, we have a little something that's special right. for you here we got we had a question come in about a lot of the folks who are you know are getting furloughed and having some job insecurity issues uh in these these trying times, so it occurred to us that uh none of us have had a real job for like a long time, so uh Jed and I sat down with our friend Adam who. Uh, is a great guy. He's got a lot of wisdom. He's got a lot of insight. He also does have an actual job that you go to every day and put, uh, you know, type into a computer and stuff happens. It's really amazing to us. So we sat down and talked with Adam about this question, and we're going to go to that right now. All right, as promised, we have a special guest. Jed and I are joined at a later date, but you're hearing it the same date. And Jed and Glenn's not here to make the time shift jokes that go on and on, so I can mention the time shifted nature of this medium in a safe (laughs) environment. (laughs) But you all are doing the future voice in your own home because the future. That's where. We are, oh, that second future here is friend of the show, Adam Whedon, who has joined us to take on this question that we got into the inbox and realized none of us are really that qualified to talk about because it's about having- It's a familiar feeling. (laughs) It's about gainful employment in the actual working world. So our question came in and says, with all that's going on, I feel very insecure in my job. I know I should trust God, but I'm kind of freaking out. And Adam, welcome. Thank you. uh, You have uh, a little bit of experience with uh, having switched jobs around. And obviously, you know, folks are feeling a lot of this with all the coronavirus stuff. So what would you just say to someone if you were across the table from them and they brought this up to you?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, First thing I would say is, you know, I'm sorry to hear that you're going through this. You know, I've been in this position before. It is a sucky position to be in. And I just want to say I'm sorry and that, you know, It sucks a lot. I just want to acknowledge that because, you know, sometimes when you're in that position, it can feel like you're going crazy. But there are definitely like two elements of this that I want to attack. First is the practical and then there's the spiritual. Here's what we want to do. Let's get a resume together and updated and emphasize the things that the next job will be looking for in you. Put the skills you're looking to show off at the top of the list of every previous job you have. Make yourself look like a rock star. You want to look like the perfect candidate for that next position. Now, you may be thinking, Adam, isn't that lying? No. In my position, I go through tons of resumes for my job, and I treat them for what they are. They're advertisements. Every one of those resumes I see is a real person who's trying to put their best foot forward in trying to get a job. Now, I expect the resumes to not have any like false information. I don't want any out, and out lies on there. You can't just make something up. However, I do expect them to be showing off a very highly idealized versions of themselves. It's kind of like getting your picture taken. You want the person taking your picture to get your good side, emphasize your best attributes. You want your hair combed. You want to put on some makeup if that's something you think makes you look better. Is that how you look when you first wake up in the morning? Of course not. But you're not lying. You're just showing off the best parts of you and minimizing the worst parts of you. That's what everyone expects out of a resume. This is like a commercial for yourself. You're pitching yourself via this resume. So don't lie, but make it the best pitch you can. Second, I would start identifying companies that are looking to hire someone in that position you're looking for. Maybe retail isn't your bag anymore, but you still like the customer service and the cash handling aspect. So maybe you could go work for a bank or maybe you could find something else. You know, do some internet searches, have some targets of where you would like to work and start sending out your resume. I will caution you against some old advice that says you should go to door to door handing out your resume and don't take no for an answer. And that may have worked 20 or 30 years ago, but it does not work now. Uh, As someone who's gotten jobs then and gotten jobs now, it's definitely a new world. And one secret that I'll tell you that not a lot of people want to admit, a friend on the inside can do more for you than the best resume in the world. I've gotten more jobs than I can count because I knew someone who worked somewhere. It seemed like a good place to work. They passed on my resume to the right people and put in a good word for me. Now, keep in mind, that's because I try to cultivate a good reputation with everybody I work with. I treat everyone with fairness and dignity so that the future people that I work with, either inside a company or people I list as references, will be able to say that I did good work. Um, Never burn your bridges with anybody. Always make sure that you can have someone in your back pocket to help you get in a position. You never know when a past coworker will be the one hiring you for your future job. Now, one other way I want to cover this from an unstable standpoint is if by unstable you may mean the conditions are bad, um, I would say I'm truly sorry to hear that because I've had my share of horrible working conditions, including bad bosses, and it's not fun. Uh, Some bosses I've had would even outright yell at me for like literally hours a day. It's just absolutely draining. (laughs) But to me, a good job can be made terrible by bad jobs. And a bad job can be made tolerable by a good boss. A boss can be a real make or break for a job. So if that's what you're going through, then a lot of my advice is similar to what I already said. You know, get that resume together, start finding a new place that you can target, start getting that resume out there. But if the work environment is literally unsafe and like could injure you or kill you, then make sure you reach out to your local OSHA office. They're the ones who are supposed to be inspecting workplaces and work sites to make sure they're safe and force your employer to fix it. And the greatest part is you can submit a complaint and ask your name to be withheld so your employer will never know it was you. You can find them online at osha.gov to file a complaint and read about the processes. When all is said and done, and you hopefully get a job somewhere else don't forget don't burn your bridges provide a letter saying you're work two more weeks so you're not leaving them high and dry let them know you'll train a replacement if they want you to some may ask you to leave right away but most will keep you working those two weeks keep doing the job keep your eyes at the light at the end of the tunnel you only have to do one day at a time even if it's rough i do want to provide a word of perspective on that though work can be hard and work can be tough Work can also be fun. Almost always, in my experience, it's some mixture of both. If you're very new to the job market and someone's told you to follow your dreams and if you just find the right job, you'll never work a day in your life, uh, someone probably sold you a lie on that. I've had jobs I've really enjoyed. I've had jobs I absolutely dreaded. I love my current job because I get to help kids get into college. But you know what? It's still hard sometimes. It's not always fun. And that's okay. I'm just blessed that most of the time I have a clear vision that I'm helping people in my day-to-day work. And that's the key for any job, is just find something that, for the most part, you are enjoying. If you only focus on the negative aspects of a job, then that's all you'll ever see, even if it's a good job. However, we can keep the perspective of, this is a job, I'll have good days, I'll have bad days. And as long as the good days outpace the bad days and I'm not being abused, then I'm doing pretty well. So that's kind of the practical aspect. From the spiritual aspect, I want to kind of let you know that God definitely has your back in this. Uh, Last year, I got laid off, and the one thing that I had to hold on to was that God had my back. Otherwise, I would have been absolutely crazy. I had to remember that God had a plan for me, that he was going to be doing something that was going to be awesome in my life, and I just had to have the patience that it took to wait for that to work out. Now, that's not to say it was easy. That's not to say it was fun. But I knew that God had my back. And to remind you of that, I wanted to read some verses out of the book of Exodus. Uh, First, let me give you some context. The book of Exodus is in the Old Testament and deals with God's people prior to Jesus who were trapped in slavery in Egypt. These folks had it rough. They have what you would say is an unstable job situation. And if God was choosing a man named Moses to help lead them out of that situation. This is what he said in Exodus chapter three, verses seven through nine. The Lord said, I've seen how my people are suffering in Egypt. I've heard them cry out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to save them from the Egyptians. I will bring them up out of that land. I will bring them into a good land. It has a lot of room. It is a land that has plenty of milk and honey. The Canaanites, Hittites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites live there. And now Israel's cry for help has reached me. I've seen how bad the Egyptians are treating them. And we can understand a lot about God's character through this verse. It may not seem like it applies to us at first, but let me show you how it does. First, we can see that God knows what we're going through. He knew what the Egyptians were going through, and he sees you where you are and knows that you're having a tough time. He saw the suffering of his people and sees the circumstance therein, and he sees the circumstance that you are in. He notices you. He cares about you. He loves you. The other thing that we can notice is God had a plan for his people, and he has a plan for you too. All the people of Israel wanted freedom. God said, I'll give you that and so much more. I'm going to give you a great place to live. I'm going to just give you this new land. He's got something in mind for you, in the same way that is way better than anything you can imagine in the middle of the plan it can feel very overwhelming like where are we why is god putting me through this but god really is working out a plan for you and it's going to be awesome now that's not to say god's intending for you to have a bad job or god's intending for you to have paid right now but by the end of it you're going to be able to look back and say god had my back now in the meantime it's important to practice a little bit of healthy self-care That can take a variety of forms, but all of them should be to helping you recharge your batteries when you're not at work. Work is going to deplete your batteries, so we need to make sure we're recharging them in other healthy ways. So some ways that it's going to take place is, you know, some of the obvious things like reading your Bible, being in prayer, being in fellowship, those are definite things that will help recharge your batteries. But it can also look in other ways like, you know, reading a book, watching a movie, playing a video game, taking a walk getting some exercise, take up a hobby. A variety of non-work activities will help keep you sane. It's really easy to get into a vicious cycle where you work, come home, think about how much you hate your job, go to sleep, and then you repeat it the next day and the next day and the next day every day. So it helps to have some healthy things in your life that you can enjoy outside of work to kind of break up that patterning negativity. So in the meantime, you know, we're praying for you. We love you. Just take it day by day, look out for your options and take care of yourself. Uh, you've got this. God's got you. We believe in you and we love you. That
0: is all super fantastic stuff. It's very, very comprehensive, very, very useful. Jed, I'd love to get you to close us out here and take a little bit of a look at the the emotional that I'm talking about there. You mentioned the the idea that it's true in any time that feeling like your job situation is precarious can be overwhelming that can feel really yeah. bad we're now adding on to that like is this industry still going to be here yeah you know yeah, when yeah. things uh shake back around so we have something that you know we were, we were joking before we we came on the recording about if we could just set some kind of filter for our news feed <laughs> of like some kind of like except the terms and conditions of i get it yeah things are bad like yeah, um, yeah. but there's no into the amount of things you can be anxious about, to the, the the depths you could find there, how do we manage those emotions without negating? You know, this this company may be gone, this industry may be gone, you may have you may be in a bad position. How do we find that balance between taking somebody seriously, engaging somebody's good steps, Adam's giving us, but also not losing our complete mind? Man,
2: that's a great question, and certainly um, everything Adam said was awesome and spot on. I think if we're trying to navigate the emotions. I think the key word in a lot of ways is control. Um, if you've listened to this podcast before, you're, you're doubtlessly uh, familiar with the serenity prayer, uh, which goes, God, uh, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Uh, it's a beautiful prayer. Uh, it's used a lot by people in addiction recovery. Uh, I encourage you to use it in your own life. And really, the the center and the focus of it is control, is being clear what things you have control over, and what things you don't. And that's, that's a really important practice. Even if you're not a spiritual person, that's that's actually still an important practice just for maintaining good emotional and mental health. But I think that we need to take it in this situation even a little bit deeper. Because as a Christian, you know that the right answer is God is in control. Um if it's up to you to fix all of this, then um, that's going to be really hard. That's, that's more than we can rely on you to do, because it's, as, as Matt's saying, if we're dealing with a situation where whole industries are going away, that's a lot to deal with. That's a lot to worry about. So we, we do want to land on the fact that God is in control, because he definitely is. The question is, what is our role within that? And the thing that I want to encourage you towards that is it goes right along with everything Adam was saying is to take the view that this is God's thing to fix, which is true, um, and scriptural and the Christian view, and that there is a role for you to play in the work that God is doing. There is a responsible degree of participation for you to play in the work that God is doing. And this is the key thing, and I think it's something that Christians ever struggle with, that I struggle with, is it's not good to overdo our role, and it's not good to underdo our role. We want to participate responsibly, no more, no less. So Adam – everything Adam gave you as kind of the the practical stuff is perfect examples of participating responsibly as God works the situation out. So could God get you a new job without you doing anything related to a resume? He could – but God probably does want you to put together a resume and see who's hiring and figure out how to get that resume to them. It's still his thing to solve, but you are participating in that situation. But if we say, well, I want to participate like 18 hours a day, seven days a week, now we're overdoing that participation. That's that's starting to be maybe us trying to kind of wrestle that control back out of God's hands. So, The thing that we need, I think the thing that's so hard in moments where we feel tense is finding that balance of participating to an appropriate degree. And this is one where it's really, really good if you've got people in your life that are walking with the Lord and they're really grounded people that you can trust. That might be your your spouse or something other. That might be your pastor, maybe someone from your small group that can help be a barometer for you of, am I underdoing or am I overdoing? Because it can be really hard if it's just you analyzing that yourself. It can be really hard to, to get that barometer set right. It's one where having a second set of eyes is really, really helpful. But I think that's the goal is to be able to say, I know what my role is today. One day at a time, I know what responsible participation looks like. I'm going to do that, and when that is done, I'm dealing with the rest of my life, going for a walk, reading a book, you know, um, uh, watching a movie, playing a video game because I need to refuel so that I can responsibly participate tomorrow because this is almost certainly not going to get solved in one day. Even if I do 19 hours today, it's not going to get solved in one day. But if I keep going one day at a time, the Lord will solve it sooner or later, and we will get where we are going.
0: And that is absolutely right. We want to thank Adam again for joining us, all the very, very good advice. And now back to, well, also me. That's strange, but <laughs> this is how podcasting works. <laughs> all right that was very cool we want to say thanks to adam for sitting down with us that was a lot of good stuff from him on that all right jump to our final question here it comes in and honestly and it says in the story of jesus healing the man born blind in john chapter 9 jesus says that the man is blind quote so that the works of god might be displayed in him unquote what does that mean and a great question. You know, we really love these questions that let us dig into scripture and kind of peel away some of those layers of things that might seem odd or complicated. And Lee, where do we start off?
3: Yeah, I, I'm so glad you asked this question. I this was a this question was a hang up for me as well. Um, you know, when I was first starting to kind of just actually read the Bible for myself, uh, because when you read it. It looks like this moment where you're looking at this guy who's had like a really, really hard life. Like this is a guy who's never seen his, his own family's faces and just just a, just a lot of suffering and problems. And it looks like Jesus is saying, yeah, all the problems of your life are, were, were, you know, just adding up to this moment where I could have a great moment and be the star. And that just doesn't seem very Jesus-y. And so that was always a problem for me too. In in reading a lot about this, um I, it's a really interesting thing. Some of the like really uh you know, really prominent Greek scholars that I trust and have read a lot of their books and stuff like that. One thing that they'll all say is that when you look at punctuation in the ancient Greek, it's a very difficult thing to translate. But when people translate that ancient Greek into modern English, they kind of make free with the punctuation. And sometimes that can be interpretive. And in other words, sometimes they can get the meaning a little off. So what these scholars will say is when you're translating ancient Greek into modern English, it's important to make sure that the punctuation follows kind of the tone and the context and the teaching and the personality and the heart of Jesus um and sometimes to be perfectly frank they get it wrong um, and i think this is a great example of that so i'm i'm just going to walk through a little bit of this in in verse 1 it says as he went along he saw a man blind from birth his disciples asked him rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind so his te- his disciples are asking him whose fault is this Obviously, we think that anytime something bad happens, it's because it's somebody's fault. It's basic basically they have a theology of karma, and then Jesus says, "This is verse three, neither this man nor his parents sinned." And then there's a comma. Said Jesus, "But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is his day, we must do the works of him who sent me." Period. Okay. So a couple of things about when you look this up, like on Bible Hub, you could just do this right now. You go to Bible Hub and look up John 9, 3, and then hit the button that says enter linear, which shows you the Greek. One thing you'll find is that phrase, but this happened so that, that's not in the Greek text at all. That's not there. That does not exist. The translators put that in there, and I can't tell you why, but... What um, a A couple of Greek scholars that I really like and trust and all that kind of stuff, they said, so the way this sentence ends, neither this man nor his parents sinned, comma, but so that the works of God might be displayed in him, period, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. So that makes it look like Jesus is saying, this happened so that I could have a great moment. But what this dude said was, what if the period was after the word sinned? Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Period. End of thought. In other words, Jesus would be saying in that sense, that's not what this is about. Suffering is not always directly tied to somebody's sin. It's not about karma. That already sounds more Jesusy to me. I don't know about you. And then if it went on, but so that the works of God might be displayed in him, comma, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Now, if you look at at punctuation that way, then what Jesus is saying is, don't chalk this up to who sinned. Life sucks sometimes, but... Since I'm here, I want to do the works of the one who sent me. Now, that already sounds a whole lot more like the Jesus that you see throughout the Gospels. Again, sometimes the punctuation is a difficult thing to translate from ancient Greek into modern English, and the thing that we need to keep in mind is Scripture has a context and a tone and a heart, and we need to make sure that we are interpreting that based on the heart of Jesus and the message of the good news, which says that everybody's a sinner so it's not like everything that bad is that happens is a result of some punishment for sin but jesus is at work in the world to solve problems, and to heal hurts, and to come after situations that need a Savior. That's where Jesus wants to enter in. So when we look at difficult passages like this, what we want to look for is, where is the heart of Jesus? Maybe the punctuation or the translation or something like that is throwing me off, but I want to find that heart of Jesus that's always at work to heal and to help and to come after and to be on the side of sinners.
0: That's a fantastic place to start this off. It's a really solid grounding in the verse itself and what's going on there. Super duper important. And Jed, let me just pick us up there because I think the next kind of layer we can move to is the way people would use the wrong interpretation of that, that Lee is talking about that when we find one of these kind of odd, oddball sentences in scripture, I think one of the things that plays in our mind is, Oh crap. Are all the jerk people, right? Because there's this one verse they can point to. So And this saying that like, oh, no, all suffering and bad stuff is really good news because it's a chance for someone to become Christian is obviously a terrible idea and not actually what this verse is saying, right?
2: Sure. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Uh,
0: Everything I've got
2: is going to line up with what you've already heard from Lee. Um, I think there's a few takeaways from this story as a whole that are really worth looking at. The first is, uh, let's talk about what God's work is. God's work is clearly that there are people in need who receive compassion. Right. That is, that is clearly God's work. So um, we don't want to be in any way confused about that. There's someone, they're in some way in need, some way hurting, some way going through rough time, and they're going to receive some form of compassion. This is God's work. So let's pause there for a second. I think for an awful lot of people who listen to this podcast, you are involved in big ways and small ways in showing compassion to people who are in need. Um, and there's a lot of ways to do that. And the good news is you are involved in God's work. If, if you are doing that in your life, you are directly involved in doing God's work. And as the Bible says elsewhere, being the hands and feet of Jesus. So that's amazing. You're rocking it. You're doing it. All right. But now there's, there's another side of it that we need to look at that this story also really, really points to, which is oftentimes we can lump together the thing that we want to do. And the trappings that we think are going to go with the thing that we want to do, right? I mean, an an easy way to think about this is we kind of associate if you're really, really good at music, then you will be rich and famous. Well, there's (laughs) no reason why those (laughs) – Lee's laughing for a reason. It it turns out those are trappings. There's no reason why those have to be linked. I mean – Maybe you could be good at music and you're rich and famous, but in most cases, you're not. In most cases, you're good at music and no one has ever heard of you and you have no money, right? There's the thing, the music, and then there's the trappings. Now, we do this a lot in Christian stuff. So let's go through a list of uh, just a few of the things uh, in this story that are trappings that don't happen, even though God's work is definitely happening. Um, In the story, people do not admit that they were wrong. They were massively galactically wrong. Yep. God's, God's work happened, but no one admitted that they were wrong. That's mm. the first thing. The second thing is no one apologized. There were some definite apologies needed for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. wow. And God's work happened. God was on the scene and no one apologized at all. There were no hallmark moments. Next up, basically no one other than Jesus in this entire story has a good grasp of what's going on. (laughs) That's really worth thinking about. God is on the scene. A miracle has taken place. God's work has happened. No one has a good grasp of what's going on here. And to take it further, no one comes off their nonsense at all. There's not even a lessening of the nonsense. It's full bore. I'm doubling down on my nonsense, even though God's work has occurred. Here's another one. Family does not start acting right. Family was acting the fool at the beginning of this story. Family is acting the fool at the end of this story, even though God's work is clearly going on in the midst of it. And one more, just because it's important to um, Christian culture, no one becomes famous and gets a book deal. Think about that for a second. God's work occurs, a miracle happens, and no one gets famous, no one gets a book deal, no one gives an interview. It's just, that's it. And I think it's really important for us to wrap our brains around that because, again, I know there's a lot of people listening to this podcast that are involved in being the hands and feet of Jesus. And because we live in such a media-focused culture, we have an image of all these trappings that we think, if I was really doing God's work, these would be happening too. People would be acting right, and people would be getting a clue, and my family would behave themselves, and people would admit when they were wrong, and probably someone would want to give me a book deal too. But none of that's happening, and it makes me question, am I really doing God's work? What, one of the things the story teaches us is that if you are finding people in need and showing them compassion, you are doing God's work, whether those trappings are there or not, and Amen. it's changing the life of the person who's receiving that compassion, whether those trappings are there or not.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. I, I think that book title would be some horrific pun on Siloam, but I just I can't quite get there yet. And Glenn, where do we close out all this good stuff we've heard so far?
1: Well, it, these guys laid it out really well. I mean, when you, when you read the rest of this chapter— Uh, what you have are religious leaders just freaking out uh, and are deeply displeased that a person who was blind can now see.
0: But it wasn't done Uh, properly or in order.
1: (laughs) Now, that's either because they all had some sort of disorder or it's uh, basic human jealousy. Because it turns out if you can make blind people see, you are a bigger deal. Than a guy who's really legalistic and bumming everyone out. <laughs> uh, what? And yeah, that's the problem here. Okay. Uh, and the 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 thing that I love about this story is that uh, what's what's happening here is they're accusing Jesus of doing work because he healed someone on the Sabbath. Now that's a long. I mean. The, the the legalistic gymnastics to get there is that's it's very intense, okay? Uh, but what I love about it is that if you go back to—you know, you read the story, but if you go back to the beginning, this is what Jesus says. This happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. And when he says "works," he means it's Aragon, as in uh, accomplishing a task. It's it's exactly the thing they were accusing him of. He's saying this is God's work. Right. Can God do something on the Sabbath that is work, or is He under your authority? that you can tell God that he can't do work because he said that we shouldn't do work. You see what I'm saying? The whole thing is kind of madness. Here's what it is, and we can break all this down into a very simple thing. First of all, challenges are not curses. Being blind is not a curse being you know having a a physical a limitation is not a curse Dude, that's it's important not meant to right be, there man yeah it's not meant to be seen that way it's a challenge it it makes life tough in certain respects, but everybody's got some kind of challenge that they're dealing with uh, jesus uh, comes along heals him and something remarkable happens he's he's given the healing uh and I think here's what we need to learn off that is people who have a lust for power and people who are dealing with envy will discount remarkable things that God is doing. That's really important because you say, well, yeah, but lust for power, who really has it? It sounds like something a Bond villain would be into. (laughs) Um, But if you went to a lot of religious leaders and said, what if you had like a lot more power? than you have right now you could be on the tv people would listen to you You have a book contract like Deb was talking about you could talk to politicians and all of that and just have all this power there has been a serious pursuit of achieving more power even at the loss of our witness in some cases and what happens with that is when someone actually is accomplishing something amazing and remarkable, when God does something remarkable through someone's life. Those who have that lust for power and envy are the first to discount that because they see it as competition for them. And I think it's a very important thing to understand about you know how religious communities work and how religious life works to look for those people who have that lust for power and recognize they're not as clued into what god is doing. Final point that kind of ties this all together. God works how he works. And it is important for you to recognize that will at some point violate your religious ideas. Mm. And uh it it did for the 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 religious leaders in this story, but it also did that for Peter who, you know, kept kosher his whole life and Jesus says, "Eh, let's not and people are like, "No, no, no. I mean, you 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 tell me it's time for a free for all. I'm eating a pork sandwich before you finish the sentence. But, you know, it, it, some people, you know, there's that sense of I have my religious system and God needs to fit down inside of it. And that's not going to to work." So being able to have that broader mind and that bigger vision that's that's a key for understanding what's happening in this story
0: I think that's a really important and fantastic point to to end on as we look at that you know that part that Lee broke down so well for us um essentially, the disciples were offering him were offering God a very narrow framework to work within, and he didn't pick a or b in the you know, the original uh language wrote down for us he kind of disregarded that question altogether and you should be prepared for that. That's another takeaway from this story is when you, when we give God a kind of, well, I know it's gotta be one of these small handfuls of choices or one of these explanations is I love the way Glenn talked about, you know, something bigger and a wider scope going on there. So, and again, a lot of really cool stuff to take away from this story. Um, even if you don't, even before you get a good answer on the, what that one sentence means. So I think that's also important to you know, when you when you find these things in the Bible, it's important to to get an answer. It's important to look at that stuff. It's also important not to let that be the only thing you take away from a really cool story like this. Yeah. You know, write it down, put it in the side in your journal. You know, you're gonna you're gonna write us about that. You're gonna ask pastor. You're gonna look it up. That's important, but don't don't let that pull all the cool stuff out of the story for you in the moment. All right, if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, dot com. Remember, you can join us every Tuesday at 7.30 Chicago time for our live Bridgecast. We're going to have a song this week. This is by far our most requested song on said live Bridgecast. This is recorded live at the Bridge. This is Jed Lee and the folks there in The One. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Just remember, we love you. God loves mm. you. There's nothing you can do about it.
1: Sunday, 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 retired pastor Walter Jenkins takes on seminary professor emeritus Lester Johnson. It's a battle of the octogenarians in the octagon. Yes!
3: Oh, yeah. Put your hands together for me now. If you've got
5: hands, put together for me. This time, you're the one.